Thanks for listening to Mosaic, a Jesus-centered communities podcast. Our goal is to help people experience a Jesus-centered life. You can find out more about us at welcometomosaic.info. We invite you to subscribe to this podcast as well as rate and review it so others can hear it as well. Enjoy the message. Amen. Good morning, Mosaic. Thank you so much for having me back. It's great to see you. Blessings to you. Let's pray and continue in the spirit of worship as we uh, continue in worship and study his word. Father, we bless you. Oh, we love you this morning. Thank you for the truth that you did not show up this morning. We showed up. You've already been here. You own this place. We lease it from you. You are always and everywhere, and we are comforted by the fact that we, we show up to you. You don't show up to us, so we bless you, Father. We thank you. We ask um, that you would help us be vulnerable and transparent this morning. Because so many of us, including myself, we have worries and anxious thoughts and stressors and we're busy and exhausted and we're anxious about the things that we have yet to do and the things that we haven't done and there's relational difficulties and questions and pressures and we're not going to put on a mask with you, Father, with each other and just say that we're fine. We're not fine. And we confess that. And so we put all this on the table and we ask that you would breathe life into it, that you would touch it with your resurrection power. You'd bring purpose and meaning. You'd give us direction by your spirit. And so we come vulnerably and honestly to you today. And now as we turn to your word, we confess another thing, and that is we are desperate for your voice this morning, desperate for your living word to be activated and illuminated in our soul, in our heart. And so we ask that you would speak. Would you speak to us through your word? Let me give you an opportunity wherever you are seated or tuning in this morning and just simply ask God to speak to you through his word. I think it's a, I know it's a prayer that he loves to answer. Maybe you would extend that prayer to someone seated around you or someone you know is also tuning in and just ask God to speak to them. Humbly, I'd ask that you would say a quick prayer for me also that God would speak through me and that it would be true and clear. Oh, Father, we bless you. We love you. We thank you. We pray all of these things together as worship, in honor, with vulnerability, with desperation. We pray these things together in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Go Chiefs. Um, we, I grew up in the country. I wanted to put that after the prayer, not before. It didn't feel right. I don't think God cares so much about football, but I do. Uh, Grew up in the country of South Texas, so much so that actually my undergrad diploma from Texas A&M University is, uh, it says agricultural development. It's a Bachelor of Science degree. And I just want to confess to you, even though I grew up in cattle country, um, most of my time as a kid was on a ranch of some sort, and I have a Bachelor of Science degree in agriculture. I kill all my houseplants. 
and my, my yard is not the greatest in the neighborhood, and I don't really know much about agriculture. That's because I have um, had a scholarship, by God's grace, had a scholarship, and I had to stay in the College of Agriculture. But early on in college is when I met Jesus and understood the gospel, and so I was preoccupied with that and um, knew that I was going to be heading into the ministry. And so my diploma always kind of mocks me from the wall of my office. Bachelor of Science in Agricultural Development, and it doesn't mean anything. But I grew up around cattle. We didn't have sheep. We didn't have pigs. I grew up mostly around cattle. We didn't have horses. Too small of a ranch to have horses. Um, And chickens and those kinds of things. So I'm familiar. Um, Love the beauty and simplicity of working in a ranch. Now, you you may not have that experience, and the only reason I tell you is that that sort of background is the foundation of our text today as we continue our series. It's very agricultural. It's very rural. It's very agrarian, which would have spoken directly to Jesus's listeners and almost everybody in Israel in the ancient Near East. It's a very agrarian society, very agricultural, very rural, except for a couple of cities that were large and there weren't many. And so as we continue our series, um, I want to invite you to imagine with me some things. I'm going to invite you to picture some things in your mind, picture some experiences in your mind. And let me remind you, a couple of times I was with you ago, um, I said to you that most of us are Westerners, right? We're thoroughly Roman in our way of learning and thinking. And that means that we want to get to the information. Just bullet it out for me. Give me the big idea. I'll memorize that and then we'll be on our way. That's what Western thinkers do. But the Bible is Eastern. It was written by Easterners in the ancient Near East. And Easterners are, Easterners are more inclined towards story, towards experience. And the text that we have today as we continue this beautiful series is really a picture. It's a story. It's an experience, okay? So if you've got your Bibles, open them up to John chapter 10. There are several I am statements in John chapter 10. We're going to try to focus on the one without jumping into the other, even though they have the same background and context. But we, in the very beginning of John chapter 10, um, and I invite you to join me there. What I'm going to try to share with you is the image and then the I am truth behind that, but also an invitation. These I am statements from Jesus, we'll talk about in just a second, Jesus reveals himself in these statements. And when God reveals himself, there is always, always, always an invitation. Revelation from God includes an invitation. So I'm going to very simply try to open up this passage for you, the image, the the truth of the I am statement, and then I want to invite you to do some hard work for yourself. Ask God to key in your heart on a specific invitation today, on an invitation on some of the beautiful truths of this passage, okay? So John 10 starts our text, and we are in this Beautiful series that Ben started last week, I Am the Bread of Life, last week on the I Am statements of Jesus. There are seven uh, particular I Am statements of Jesus in the Gospel of John that have a predicate, that I am blank, right? There are even more 
that are what we call absolute statements, just I am. You have to believe that I am. The best one comes in chapter 8 of John when he is in a synagogue preaching and he's talking about Abraham and he says, I need you to know, he's talking to the Pharisees, which are the main, um, main subjects of our text today. He's talking to the Pharisees and he says, I need you to know that Abraham longed to see my day and he rejoiced when he saw it. And they said, you're not even 40 years old and you claim to know Abraham. And he says, I tell you the truth, before Abraham was... I am. Whoa. And we can tell, we don't have to surmise, we can tell the import of that single statement with the very next verse. The Pharisees picked up stones to kill him because of what he said. What did he say besides bad grammar? He used this little two-word phrase, I am. What's the important thing about that? Well, it's an intentional connection to Exodus chapter 3 and the name of God. Now, the first thing I'm going to invite you to do is imagine with me as we just talk about the image, the background of this, and then we're going to get into our text. Imagine with me you're with Moses in Exodus chapter 3, and you are shepherding the flock of your father-in-law Jethro around Horeb, the mountain, also called Sinai, and you come upon an asbestos bush. Very strange, because it's burning, but yet it doesn't burn up, right? And um, Moses, it says in Exodus 3 that Moses was interested, so he goes nearer the bush, and then the bush speaks, and Moses and the bush have an actually an extended conversation. Can you imagine what that looked like? Just like you're a lizard on a rock, bystander, Moses talking to a bush that's burning but not burning, and the bush is speaking back to Moses. They're like asking each other questions. It's a very strange sight, and it lasted probably a quite a considerable amount of time. And the bush speaks to Moses, and he says... I'm God. It's the very presence of God in this strange but beautiful sight. And he says, I've heard and remember and I see the oppression of my people in Egypt and I know you've come from there. He's like, yeah. And God says, I know. You're an ethnic Hebrew. You're an adopted Egyptian. Now you're a fugitive murderer in a land that's not your own. And here, now you're a husband, a father, and a shepherd. But I'm going to send you back to free my people through my power in you. And he's like, I'm not so sure about that. Like, I mean, I mean, that's going to be awkward and it's going to be dangerous for me. And God's like, I know, but I'm going to go with you and I'm going to equip you. And, and Moses is like, still, man, I don't know. I mean, that's, mm, come on. Is there another way? Is there another, I mean, can we door dash something, you know? Like, is there, is there something we can do that doesn't include me going back? Um, and God's like, no, this is my plan. And so, and then Moses begins to ask some questions. He's kind of hedging, but he asks some questions. And the most important one is, okay, so say that I go back. I mean, just hypothetically, I go back and then my people, the Israelites enslaved in Egypt, they ask me who sent me. What do I say? What's your name? And this is when God reveals in Exodus chapter 3, verse 14, my name is I am who I am. We get the name Yahweh from this text in the Hebrew of the root verb to be. I am who I am, or I will be who I will be, but the I am is what 
is recorded in scripture and the name Yahweh, this covenant relational name is related to I am. And so when Jesus intentionally says, I am the bread of life, I am the door, I am the good shepherd, I am the light of the world, I am the resurrection and the life, I am the way, the truth and the life, I am the true vine. He's intentionally linking his identity to the name of God in the Old Testament. Even more so when he uses it absolutely, I am. Before Abraham was, I am. Now you know why the Pharisees picked up stones to kill him because he's linking himself with the eternal God. And that's the beauty of this series. Not only does it have rich Old Testament context with the I am statements, each one of the ones with a predicate, with I am blank, has its own beauty and meaning. And so we start in chapter 10 of John for our text, and we're going to read 10 verses of John chapter 10. But the context of the story starts full three chapters before in John chapter 7. It's the same story. It's all linked together. And John chapter 7 begins with Jesus at the Feast of Tabernacles. So imagine with me, if you will, that in this context, Israel is without a home, and the Jews are seeking to kill Jesus without remorse. And Jesus is teaching without any peace. And he comes upon a man without sight and without a name. And he heals this man on a day that is supposed to be without work, which leads to the Pharisees really kicking this man out because they are without hearts. And we end the story in John chapter 9 of a man who had been blind from his entire life, from birth, now sees, and he's been excommunicated from the synagogue. Now, that may not sound all that powerful or important to you, but you have to know in the time of Jesus, the synagogue was where Jews went to meet the presence of God and to hear the word of God with the people of God. This was his access to God. And because of the story, the Pharisees, the professional God followers, the Jewish leaders of the day, kick him out of the synagogue. And then Jesus finds him in the temple area and says, you've been kicked out. And he's like, yep, I have. And Jesus says, but do you believe in the Messiah, the Christ, and the man who is just seeing for the first time in his long life says, who is he? And Jesus says, I am he, the one speaking to you. And he goes, yes, I believe. And then the Pharisees go, wait a second, wait a second, what's going on here? And the very next text is John chapter 10, verse one. So I need to tell you, there are several times, not many, there are several times in your New and Old Testament that the chapter breaks do you a disservice because they want to incline your mind that there's a break in the story. There is absolutely not a break in the story. The chapters were included in your Bible, you need to understand, in the 1500s. The verses even later after that. And so this chapter 10, the big number 10 in my Bible, maybe yours, does you a disservice because it seems to incline that this is a new story, a new chapter, but it's not. It's a continuation of the words and verses right before this. 
And so we can tell when we read the passage. So with all that preface, let's look at John 10, 1 through 10. And we'll notice the very beginning, there is no therefore, there is no and then Jesus did, there is no conjunction, there is no transition, it's red text from Jesus into red text from Jesus. So John chapter 10 verse 1, truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter by the door into the fold of the sheep, but climbs up some other way, he's a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is a shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens and the sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he puts forth all his own, he goes ahead of them and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. A stranger they simply will not follow but will flee from him because they don't know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus spoke to them but they did not understand what those things were which he had been saying to them. So Jesus said to them again, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear him. I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Obviously an agrarian rural picture, right? Shepherd, sheep, sheepfold, calling sheep out, leading sheep in front of them. That's the beauty of this picture. The other part of the context is the very rich shepherd sheep picture in all of the Old Testament. I don't want to try to cross over the line into the other statement of the I am, starting in verse 11 and following, I am the good shepherd, that's coming in the future. But that context and picture is prevalent in the Old Testament, especially in the Psalms. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. Psalm 40, Psalm 80, Psalm 77 talks about God's flock of his people. It's really even more prevalent in the prophets. Jeremiah chapter 23, especially Ezekiel chapter 34, and even 37, the valley of the dry bones in Ezekiel is connected to this image of shepherd and sheep. Zechariah chapter 11 as well. So there's a rich Old Testament context. There's a rich current context in the life of those Jesus was speaking to. They live this. You need to understand that most of the people in Jesus' day probably owned a few sheep. They kept them either in the courtyard of their house, in the front which had a gate, or they collected those neighbors of sheep and put them in a larger pen outside. And Jesus enters into this context and background in the Old Testament and says this figure of speech tells a story. And it's revealing of his identity. So it's an invitation to you and to me and to those who are listening then. So, What's the immediate context? Who's he speaking to? You need to know that he's speaking directly to the Pharisees. The Pharisees who kicked out this man who had been born blind. Now, the story is really beautiful. Jesus comes upon this man who had been born blind in chapter 9, and um, he engages him. Now, what's fascinating about it is that Jesus heals him with spit. Now, I want you to imagine the blind man hearing Jesus spit, okay? I don't know if you've ever hawked a loogie, you know, but I can't imagine my Savior doing that, but he did in the text. You can read it. Now, imagine 
if you would, you've been born blind. You do not have a concept for red as opposed to orange. You've never seen it. You've only heard people describe it. You've heard your family describe the Sea of Galilee, but you can't fathom with a picture in your mind what a great body of water looks like because you've never seen anything. You can feel the warmth of the radiation of the sun, but you've never caught that flare of sunlight in the tears of your emotional eyes and does that dance. He's never seen that. He's never seen anything. And so he comes upon Jesus not knowing who he was and Jesus begins to interact with him. And then Jesus spits on the ground. And you not seeing, you just hear. And then Jesus begins playing with it on the ground, which is even weirder. And then you, the blind man, you feel a warm clay mud being applied to your eyes. And you think, oh, no, this is the spit. What is happening right now? I heard him, I heard him playing, and now it's on my face. Could somebody, is this a practical joke? What's happening, right? And Jesus says, no, go now and wash down in the pool of Siloam, which is down in the bottom of the valley of Mount Zion. And his friends obviously had to lead him because he couldn't see. And when he washed in the pool, it says he came back seeing. Now, the only problem was, may not be a problem to you, but it was a problem to the Pharisees, the day of the week was Saturday, a Sabbath day. And on Sabbath, no one works. Now, spitting on the ground or making clay is not even close to work according to the law of Moses in the Old Testament. But according to the Pharisees' expansion of the law, it was. And so they were very mad at Jesus when they found out that he healed a guy by making mud clay on Saturday. But they can't find Jesus because Jesus is in the crowd of the temple and he sent the man away, right, to wash. And so somewhere between his washing and his coming back to the temple, the Pharisees meet him and they say, hey, we need to talk to you. He's like, huh, I can see you. And they're like, we don't care about that. Were you really born blind? He's like, yeah, I'm pretty sure. Today's the first day I've ever seen anything. It's a pretty amazing day. And they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But were you really the guy who was born blind? Is everything here asking bystanders? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They bring his parents along. Um, parents, is this your son? And now they know something in John chapter 9. They know what's at stake here. And they know that if they make too big a deal out of Jesus, the healer of their son, and that'd be hard for parents who would be celebrating, right? If they make too big a deal out of Jesus, these Pharisees are going to kick them out of the synagogue. They know that. And so they bring, hey, is this your boy? Yes, this is our boy. Was he born blind? Yeah, we're pretty sure. I mean, that's kind of our whole life. Yeah. Um, is he seeing now? Yeah, I mean, just ask him. He's an adult. Just ask him. Who did this? We don't know. You ask him. The parents are kind of like, I'm hands off. Don't want to get kicked out of the synagogue. I, I want to continue to have access to the presence of God, hear the word of God with the people of God. I can't be kicked out. And so you ask him. And so they probe more and more. What did he do? How did he do it? What did he tell you? This was on the Sabbath. Do you know it's the Sabbath? He's like, I don't really care. I can see. Do you remember that? Why aren't you celebrating with me? Because he broke the Sabbath and he must be destroyed. 
And so they're asking him over and over again, and the guy makes a critical error. He says, I don't know who this is. All I know is this Jesus of Nazareth. You don't want to be his disciples too, do you? And they're like, oh, now you must be destroyed. And so they kick him out of the synagogue. And this is where Jesus finds him. And he believes in Jesus as Jesus reveals himself and watch. Jesus says, you may have been kicked out of the presence of God with the word of God spoken in the people of God, but I tell you now you have access through me because I am the door. And he uses this beautiful, simple statement that has some meaning before he actually says it and then has some meaning after he says it. And so we're gonna do our best to identify opportunities for you to hear an invitation from God today through this beautiful text. And that's all the context, okay? So now we get to chapter 10, verse one. Truly, truly, I say to you, he does not enter by the door into the fold of the sheep, but climbs up some other way as thief and a robber. I want you to know the antecedent, the person who he means by thief and robbers are the Pharisees. Thief is the word kleptase. We get uh, the English kleptomaniac, someone who is compulsively addicted to stealing small or large things. Um, this word is, identifies and emphasizes trickery and robbery. Robber emphasizes the idea of violence, but they're practical synonyms. And he is looking at the Pharisees side eye when he says this. He says, the good shepherd enters through the door. In these first couple of verses, Jesus is identifying himself as the shepherd. He becomes the door in a little bit. Anybody who doesn't enter through the door are thieves and robbers. Side eye, low key, looking at the Pharisees. But watch. But verse two, but he who enters by the door is a shepherd of the sheep. To him, the doorkeeper opens and the sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name. The first invitation in this beautiful idea, even before we get to the I am the door statement, is an invitation to belong, belonging. Jesus wants to speak and reveal because of our faith in him, we belong and we have a brand new identity. Do you hear what he says? He calls his own sheep by name. I want you to understand, in the ancient Near East, it wouldn't have been that. Um, in the courtyard of a house, very small sort of half wall with a door on it, or maybe a full wall, probably a full wall, sometimes briars and vines on the top to keep people from jumping over, and there's a door. And if you have sheep in your home, good weather, you keep them out in the courtyard. Bad weather, you bring them into the first floor of your house. Most people sleep and live on the second floor in lofts. And so um, he says, a good shepherd enters through the door, as you should. And when he calls his own sheep, by name, they know his voice. For most of the ancient Near Eastern shepherds, they wouldn't call by name. They would just whistle or say a word that um, identified the sheep with the shepherd. And oftentimes they would take neighborhood sheep. If uh, this house had one or two, and this house had one or two, and this house had one or two, they would often combine those sheep, take them out to a larger enclosure out in the countryside, and when the owner of those sheep would go to that enclosure, all he'd have to do was do his distinctive whistle or call, and his sheep would recognize him and come to him. That's the way it was. But Jesus does it better. He doesn't just whistle or call. He calls his sheep by name. Because belonging 
is what he's trying to identify. Identity is what he's trying to emphasize. And you recall, he did this in his ministry. Remember at the tomb, the resurrection, Easter Sunday? Mary Magdalene is there. And she's weeping so much she's not seeing straight. And she thinks that Jesus is the gardener. What changes her mind when he says her name? He says, Mary, Mary. And she looks up. When he says to Simon, son of Jonah, your name is no longer Simon. You shall be called Peter, the rock. He even calls Saul, who will become the apostle Paul by name on the road to Damascus. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me. Jesus calls his sheep by name because he wants you to know that you belong. Do you understand and enjoy your identity in Jesus? Do you recognize his voice? I want you to know you can. It's available to you. It's available for your heart to be so tuned with intimacy and nearness to Jesus that you hear his voice in his word, that you hear his spirit speak to you, not audibly, but something more beautiful than that. That when Jesus calls your name, you know. I want you to know that this first image and invitation is one of belonging and identity, but it gets even better. It says that, he calls his own sheep by name and then leads them out. Verse four, when he puts forth all his own, he goes ahead of them and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. He not only wants to emphasize belonging, he wants to speak to your heart about direction and guidance. Jesus leads the sheep. In the West, if you watch any cowboy movies, you know that we drive cattle and sheep from the back. We push them. Watch Lonesome Dove or Open Range or anything with Robert Duvall and Kevin Costner and their cowboy hats. They're in behind the cattle. They drive them. This is not what Jesus does. He goes in front. It says he leads the sheep because he wants to be the first to the snake, to the ravine, to the wolf, to the lion or the bear. He goes before in protection and guidance. Jesus leads and it's wonderful. When we follow him as his sheep, you know, it's very, very simple. We complicate following. Can we boil it down to at least three things? This is what following means. As a sheep, following the shepherd. Number one, you don't go first. How simple is that? Let's boil it all the way down, okay? Number one, if you're following, that means you don't go first. Number two, someone goes before you. And the third one is my favorite. Your job is to simply stay close. You don't go first. Someone goes before you. And following means that you have to stay close. That's what following means. And this is what sheep would do to the shepherd because they knew his voice. They recognized his voice. And Jesus wants to emphasize belonging and direction, but it gets even better. The hinge verse between the first picture and the expansion of that picture in the second passage, 7 through 10, is verse 6. He says, this figure of speech, Jesus spoke to them. If you have NIV, translation from the 2000s, it says, in this figure of speech, Jesus spoke to the Pharisees. That's not in the Greek, but it's perfectly accurate because that's who he's speaking to. And yet they didn't understand what he's talking about. Figure of speech is not a parable. John's gospel never uses the word parable. 
And the other gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, never use this word for figure of speech because it's more complicated than a parable. It doesn't have just one thing to teach. It has multiple lines of connection. So he says, I'm emphasizing belonging. I'm emphasizing direction. And now we get to the beauty. Look at verse seven. Jesus said to them again, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. Whereas before, in the first couple of verses, he's really pictured as the shepherd walking through the gate, not climbing over. Now he is the door, okay? So the courtyard, small sheep pen had a door. Now, when we go out to the wilderness, this is what the shepherds would have done in Jesus' day. They would have built a larger enclosure to keep multiple owners of sheep in their right, and they would build it out of whatever they could find in the field. So largely stones, they're stacking up stones like they would in Ireland or Northern England, and they're building walls big enough that the sheep can't jump over, and wolves and enemies and thieves and robbers can't climb. But they build it in a way that it only has one gap, one small entrance where the stones or the wood or the vines aren't. And then the shepherd, once he gets all the sheep in the enclosure for the night, sleeps in that entrance such that he, the shepherd, becomes the door itself. And this is the picture Jesus is saying. Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. So not only belonging, not only direction and guidance, but now access. He says, you have access to me. Now remember, he's side-eyeing the Pharisees who have kicked out the man who was formerly blind. And he welcomed the man formerly blind who can now see, and the Pharisees who think they can see but are really blind. This passage is all about irony. And he says, and you have access in me. I am the door. You have access. Do you know that you have access to the presence of God in Jesus? Do you know that you have full access? Are you enjoying that access to the presence of God? Immediate access. That word means without mediator. There is only one mediator between God and man, the New Testament would say, and that's Jesus Christ. In him, we have immediate access. Are you enjoying that as a follower, as a member of God's flock? Remember in Matthew 27, when Jesus is dying on the cross and he bows his head and gives up his spirit, the writer of the gospel zooms from there over to the temple. That curtain that separates the holy place where the priests work and the most holy place where the presence of God is. And that curtain tears in two from top to bottom. Why? Because Jesus' death exposes forever and for all who trust in him access to God. It's the same thing. I am the door of the sheep. You have access to the Father, even greater than the synagogue through me. He's speaking it to the Pharisees in rebuke, and he's speaking it over the blind man in comfort. That's the context. It gets even better. Not only do we have belonging and guidance and access, we have protection. We have protection. I am the door, or for verse eight, sorry. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep didn't hear him. He says, I am the one who protects you. In verse 10, we'll get it. The thief comes only 
to steal and kill and destroy. In Greek, it's even better. The thief does not come except to steal and kill and destroy. He's the one that climbs over the wall. He wants to do violence to the sheep and the people of God. And again, low-key, side-eye, looking at the Pharisees, thieves and robbers. And Jesus says, not only do you belong, not only do I give you direction and guidance, not only do you have access to the Father, the very center of this picture, you have protection and security. I need you to know, friend, that spiritual enemies right now are wolving after your soul. They always are. Spiritual enemies are wolving after your soul. But the fierce, gentle care of Jesus the door is always ready and available to you. Wolving after your soul. But Jesus says, I am the door. You have access and protection. I go before you. You mean shepherds in Jesus' day, we have a hard time understanding perhaps. Remember David? The youngest of all his brothers, he was given the rough job of shepherding. And when he goes to the Ella Valley and Goliath is there taunting the armies of the living God, he goes, I'll take him. And they're like, what? You're a kid. He goes, yeah, but I'm a shepherd. And uh, as a shepherd, I've killed a lion and a bear. We don't understand that shepherds were sort of like warriors. They were formidable. They had to be. If some enemy, wolf, bear, lion, eagle, came after the flock, they went on warpath. And David said, yeah, I'll take down this uncircumcised Philistine. And he did. Easy. He goes, because this is what I do. I'm a shepherd. And so we see shepherds as sort of simple. They're walking, but they are formidable warriors. And let me tell you, they can protect. They can protect the sheep. Even Jesus said in Luke 15, hey, we all know if you had 100 sheep and one gets lost in the night, they leave the 99 and they do whatever it takes to find the one because they're warriors. They're tough. They're formidable. And so we have belonging, we have direction and guidance, we have access and we have protection, but it's even better at the end, right? We have abundance. I tell you the truth, the thief does not come except to steal and kill and destroy. But I came so that they may have life and life abundantly. That word abundantly is used like six times in the New Testament. It means greater than you anticipated, far in excess of what is needed. Abundant life. Are you enjoying the abundant feast life? of following after Jesus. Now, I know life is hard. It's filled with curse of this fallen world and the corruption of our flesh and the attacks of the devil and the spiritual enemies that are always wolving around us. I get that. But even in the midst of it, God's grace is so super abundant that he sets a feast table for us and invites us every moment of every day to sit with him, to enter into his presence and to feast abundantly. Are you enjoying that regularly? I hope you are. I hope you do. I hope you know in your heart that that's available to you. He wants you to feast and live abundantly, even with sin and the corruption, which means it'll be even better when Jesus comes back and sets everything right. 
abundant life. That's what he has for you. All of that wrapped up in this image of the door, belonging. Have you heard your invitation this morning? Direction and guidance, access to God. Have you heard your invitation this morning? Protection and security, abundance and plenty. I was reminded this week powerfully of a story that you probably recognize. It's from Luke 10. It's Jesus and two sisters, Martha and Mary. Jesus comes to their home, which is in Bethany, just on the other side of the Mount of Olives from Jerusalem proper. And he comes and sits in their house. And he probably has a large crowd with him. Not only the disciples, the men and the women who are with him, but probably others. And because that's the ancient Near East and you want to host, that's what Martha's doing in the kitchen. She's slaving away, giving repeated glances at her sister Mary with passive aggression and frustration in her face. Why aren't you helping me? Why don't you recognize my passive aggressive glances? And so I'm slaving in the way in the kitchen and she's sitting at the feet of Jesus. I think of that because Jesus lives out what he says. Martha goes to Jesus and says, Rabbi, all right, with respect, can you please snap my sister out of out of whatever she is just sitting there listening to you because I'm slaving in the way in the kitchen and she's just hanging on every word. Can you help me? And what does he say? Do you remember? He calls his own sheep by name. He says, Martha, dear Martha, you are consumed with so many things that don't matter. And your sister Mary has chosen the better thing and it won't be taken away from her. He calls his own sheep by name, meets them where they are, and says, don't be distracted. You have access. You belong to me. I want to give you direction and guidance. I want to protect you. And I want to give you the abundance that is available to you under the care, watchful, fierce care of the shepherd of the sheep, who is the door. Welcome. Have you heard your invitation? I hope you have. Let me pray for you as we continue to worship and respond. Father, we bless you. Oh, we need you desperately. What a beauty. What a beauty in such a simple phrase. I am the door. Your eternal son still says to us today, here and now, would you help us understand the depth and resplendent magnificence that means we belong, that we are guided that we have access to you, our Father, that we're protected and secure and that you welcome us into a life of plenty and abundance. Would you help us? Would you help us take steps towards you and respond to your invitation today? We bless you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with us? Let's respond to the goodness of God as we sing. Stand with us and let's respond. Thanks for listening to this week's message. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We invite you to connect with us. If you'd like to give to this ministry, you can do so at welcometomosaic.com give. Have a great week!